The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. That's actually a line from the 1995 movie The Usual Suspects, which was a paraphrase of Charles Baudelaire. Uh, <clears throat> my pronunciation aside, the sentiment strikes a chord, and you'll hear that phrase repeated all over the place. And it's a pretty good trick if you want to operate anonymously. But there's another way you can do it. Instead of convincing the world you don't exist, convince them that there's something you're not. Is the devil an eternal, evil being? A counterpart to God? A fallen angel? Is the devil some outside agent trying to bring destruction and obviously leading the people we disagree with? Or is the devil something more subtle? more pervasive, more universal. If you're up for it, we're going to try to sort all this out tonight. Stay tuned. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg and Life. Great to have you back. My name is Curtis Childs and I'm the host. I'm with the Swedenborg Foundation, which is a nonprofit group that works to have discussions like these with the hope that those will do some good for the world. Uh, if you want to be part of that discussion in more ways than one, you can put your questions and comments in and we'll answer them at the end of the show. We always do that, so, but I just want to remind you at the beginning so you can start thinking of your questions. Now, this topic will probably generate a lot of those, so we're getting into talking about the devil. Is the devil real? And I think there you get people have strong feelings about it. People will strongly feel like there is a devil, you know? Uh, and the, the devil, this is a major player in the universe, or you get other people that there's no such thing as evil, it's just how we're labeling it in, in between, or, you know, the, there's no such thing as anything supernatural. So everybody's got opinions on it, and I think we're going to do our best to offend everyone tonight. <laughs> so we'll get into that discussion and see what did Swedenborg have to say about it. You know the show. We're going to look into this great, complex set of spiritual experiences and teachings that Swedenborg recorded, and he had a lot to say about the phenomenon of the devil. And we're going to answer the question, is the devil real? And the answer is, yeah and no, and, and sort of in this sort of way. So, you want to see how that plays out? Let's get into our first segment to get to get this started, we've got to talk a little bit of sort of metaphysics about how much room is there for sort of primal, infinite beings. So we'll start part one now. All right, so we're going to begin with talking about what it takes to be uncreated. So there is sort of an idea, the, the, the devil as a concept, and that's the English word for it. There are a lot of traditions and languages that hold some kind of, some kind of concept around a primal evil being, that there's a source of good and there's a source of evil. So we're, we're calling it the devil for this one. But there's sort of an idea around that there's there's. God and the devil, you know, that God is the source of good, the devil is the source of evil, and they're both kind of counterparts to each other, sort of equal opposing forces. We're going to look a little bit now at what Swedenborg, what Swedenborg's cosmology has to say about the how many parking spaces are there in this infinite being's lot. Okay, so we're going to begin that with true Christianity number 21. As always, you know, you can you can download these books, read along, uh, read the whole thing. We just dip into it here and there, but there's, a, you know, he goes through things in, in a lot of detail. We begin, the underlying divine reality is intrinsic reality. 
and is also an intrinsic capacity to become manifest. Jehovah God is intrinsic reality, because from eternity to eternity, He is the I Am, the Absolute, and the first and only thing from which comes everything that exists and to which everything owes its existence. Because of this and nothing else, He is the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. One cannot say that his underlying reality comes from himself, because coming from himself implies before and after, and therefore time, and time cannot apply to the infinite underlying reality that is described as existing from eternity. He goes on, Coming from also either implies another God who is the real God, and then you have a God from a God, or it implies that God formed himself. In either case, God would not be uncreated or infinite because he would have boundaries and limitations that were imposed either by himself or by some other God. From the fact that God is the intrinsic underlying reality, it follows that God is love in itself, wisdom in itself, and life in itself. It also follows that God is the absolute from which all things come and to which all things are connected so that they may exist. God is God because he is life in itself. All right, did you turn it off? Did you tune out? All right, because you came here looking for, is the devil real? And we just gave you a bunch of theology, obscure theology kind of stuff. But we got to start here because if you're thinking about there's God and there's the devil, and, they're, and like God is a source of good, the devil is a source of evil, and they're both opposed to each other. There has to be a matrix or something else that they exist in that lets them both exist in their part, and one doesn't overlap the other and sets up the rules for how their power is. or something. You know, so, so there would be a, a force behind that that's of a greater power. This is what Swedenborg is saying, that, that the one who is the real God, the real thing behind everything, has got to be behind everything. And the way that Swedenborg describes God uh, is that God is this everything that exists owes its ability to exist to existence itself, which is God, right? So the, in there, you don't have room for an eternal author of evil because you would need a place where they agreed to meet and hang out. Do you know what I'm saying? Let's continue. Heaven and Hell, number 14. Love is the essential reality of every individual life. It is therefore the source of the life of angels and the life of people here. Anyone who weighs the matter will discover that love is our vital core. We grow warm because of its presence and cold because of its absence, and when it is completely gone, we die. The point being made here is that love is the essence of life. And he says that even more succinctly in the beginning uh, of another of his books. Love is the essence of life. The, the ability to maintain structure and develop and, and let something exist, uh, those are qualities of love. So if we're thinking about the devil as a being that is made of hatred, you know, that this is something that, whose source is evil, evil isn't that kind of thing. That love is a sustaining force. Evil is not a sustaining force. It's actually a longing to destroy a sustaining force. All right, you with me so far? We're just going to lay down a few of these, and then I promise we'll get to the stuff we advertise. Okay, next we have Married Love 444. Are you, this is Swedenborg talking to somebody. It doesn't matter who at this point. We're, we're just jumping into the point he's making. Are you not aware, I said, that good and evil exist, and good is from creation, but evil is not? Yet evil regarded in essence is not nothing, even though it is nothing from the point of view of good. 
Good exists from creation, and it varies in degree from the highest to the lowest. When its lowest degree reaches zero, evil arises on the other side. So there's no relationship or progress of good to evil, but it relates and progresses to what is more or less good. Evil relates and progresses to what is more or less evil because these are opposites in every single detail. So we kind of see good and evil you know, it, the, for those of us who differentiate or differentiate at times actions into those categories. And you see this, this is a common thing in movies. You go watch any movie, you'll see, you'll see uh, characters that personify, are supposed to personify good, characters that are supposed to personify evil. And you sort of see them as these kind of, you know, uh, siblings, sort of, that, that good is a certain kind of power, you wear a certain kind of armor, and the evil is this other power, and you'd wear this other kind of armor. That they're both these sort of forces. But I was going to see that evil is not actually a force, Force, it's an absence of force or an absence of de- design. All right, so we're talking about evil so much that I think we got to talk about, we got to give it its own section. So let's go now, and trust me, this is all getting to where we want to go, to take a look at what evil is. Sorry that our intro things are so creepy, uh, but these are actual, as you can probably tell, these are depictions of evil and of the devil that people have made throughout history. So we thought we'd get, you know, the artist's view on these things as we move through. Turn on the lights wherever you are, so, you know, because there's some more scaries on the way. All right, what is evil? Let's start in Apocalypse Explained, Swedenborg's huge, expansive, non-published work, uh, and see what Swedenborg is saying here. It shall also briefly be stated how evil and falsity are able to flow forth from hell, although there is but one acting force, and that is the life which is God. Yeah, so if there's not a devil that's the source of evil, then where's evil coming from? This has also been revealed to me. There was uttered with a loud voice from heaven a truth from the word, which flowed down to hell, passing from one to another to the lowest hell. It was further heard that this truth was in its descent successively and gradually turned into falsity, and at length into a falsity of such a nature that it was altogether opposite to the truth. It was then in the lowest hell. The reason why it was turned in this way was that everything is received according to state and form. Consequently, this truth entering by influx into inverted forms, such as exist in hell, becomes successively inverted and changed into a falsity, the opposite of truth. From this fact also, the quality of hell was evident from the highest hell to the lowest. And further, there is but one acting force, and that is the life which is the Lord. So, a lot of words, what he's saying is, there is a, God is the only game in town as far as existence and life force is concerned. However, that life force is given out to everyone, and the form of the receiver is what can turn it to, you know, open it to the good that it's meant to be, or twist it into evil. And evil as a twisting of good, this is something that is pretty obvious. I mean, you see, hey, I've made this analogy in other episodes, we have this system where we have these little cards that have numbers on them, and you use those cards to buy stuff. And it's handy because you can just go anywhere, and uh, I'm talking about debit cards, credit cards are a whole other thing. Either way, it's handy, you go somewhere, you swipe it, you, you get your money out, it's great. However, 
that system is meant to have it so that everyone gets to access their own money. But people will will distort and take advantage of that system. They will take somebody else's card or their number or their ID and try to take their money and use the anonymity of the system to try to steal money, right? So we can see evil is not its own system. It's a perversion of the good systems that exist. An example Swedenborg loves to use is that of different kinds of creatures. In this example, plants. So we have two plants here. One uh, on your left is broccoli, which kids see as an evil plant, but we know is a pretty good thing for a human body. And then on the right-hand side is poison ivy. And if you haven't had it, uh, which I pretty much have, and I've had it in little bits, but some people get that really bad. It's just not something you want to touch, right? It's it's very harmful thing. Both of these plants are receiving the same sunlight. They're in similar soils, absorbing the same kind of nutrients, micronutrients, everything like that. Uh, however, one is turning them into something life-giving. The other is turning them into something harmful right? That's the principle of evil and good. They're both receiving the same energy. Now, it doesn't mean that poison ivy is an evil plant. Everything fulfills its ecological role. I'm not think, I don't think poison ivy has an evil heart. It's just doing what it does like broccoli does. It's an analogy. The analogy is that we as people who do know how to make choices can take that life force and bring good with it or bring harm with it, right? Makes sense? Let's get back into True Christianity 366. <laughs> So, more about this form, and and what kind of form are we? The qualities that flow in from the Lord are received by us according to our form. Form here means our state in regard to love and wisdom. Therefore, it includes the state of our desires to do good out of goodwill and the state of our insights about the truths of faith. God's life is present in all its fullness, not only in people who are good and religious, but also people who are evil and ungodly. That life is the same in angels of heaven as it is in spirits of hell. The difference is that evil people block the road and shut the door to prevent God from coming down into the lower areas of their mind. Good people, on the other hand, smooth the road and open the door. They invite God to enter the lower areas of their mind, since he already inhabits the highest areas of it. And it's common of Swedenborg to use absolutes, like good people and evil people, even though while we're in this world, we're obviously dealing with both. But this, so you can even think this about good and evil states in your mind, and you know, so anyway. Don't get too freaked out. Oh, which one am I? Oh, it's not that black and white. So uh, just hold it, hold it as it should be held. They change the state of their will. So this is this is um uh this is good people again. They change the state of their will so that love and goodwill may flow in, and change the state of their intellect so that wisdom and faith may flow in. They open themselves to God. Evil people block that inflow with various bodily cravings and spiritual garbage that they spread around to prevent access. Nevertheless, God with all his divine essence still dwells in the highest parts of evil people and gives them the ability to will what is good and understand what is true. This ability is something that all human beings have, although it would not be theirs at all if life from God were not present in their soul. Many experiences have taught me that even the evil have this ability." So rather than evil, rather than being, there being two sort of sources of existence in life, God and love and good, this is, this is everybody's life. If you shut it off as much as you can in your consciousness by, by turning away from love toward things that are harmful, that are willingly doing things that you know are hurting other people, 
God isn't gone. God is still powering the machine, you know, that nobody can move and think and choose without God. But you can shut out, uh, you can decide you're not going to act in that way. But God is still there. So this is how God can be the source of all life, even though there is this dichotomy between really great things we do to each other and really, really horrible things that we do to each other. And I was just watching the news today. You see them both on there, right? So this is, it's talking about evil is, this whole section is what is evil, where does evil come from if there's not a, a devil devil, that is this just sort of infinite source of evil, just like God is an infinite source of love. So, this is another description from Swedenborg about how it's actually our minds are backwards when we've shaped them that way through choices toward evil, and that that takes you know the flow in of love, the inflow of love, whichever you like, and inverts it, just like uh, you know plants, those kinds of things can take the sunlight that's coming in turn it into all kinds of different forms. So this is a this is a little abstract as as Swedenborg can be. Uh, so we put like a simple slideshow with it, but what you're hearing is Swedenborg's words where he's describing further on what the form the, the actual structures themselves are like uh, in the mind when we look towards good or evil. So here it is. Since we are our own love, we are also the forms of our own love and can be called organs of our life's love. We can get a relative concept of them from our heart and lungs. Their changes are alternating expansions and compressions, or dilations and contractions. Much the same happens in the organic forms of the mind, which, as already noted, are the subjects of our feelings and thoughts. The difference is that their expansions and compressions, their alternating motions, are relatively so much more perfect that there's no way to describe them in the words of ordinary language. Only the words of spiritual language are adequate, and these indicate that they are like whirlpools, spiraling in and out, like endless twisted coils joined together in forms that are wonderfully receptive of life. Now, though, I need to state what these purely organic substances and forms are like in evil people and in good people. In good people, the spirals face forward, and in evil people, they face backward. When they spiral forward, they are turned toward the Lord and are open to the inflow from Him. When they spiral backward, they are turned toward hell and are open to its inflow. It is important to realize that to the extent that they are turned backward, they are open behind and closed in front, and that conversely, to the extent that they are turned forward, they are open in front and closed behind. This shows what kind of form or what kind of organ an evil person is and what kind of form or organ a good person is. They're turned in opposite directions. It is our volition's love that determines this direction or that turns us forward or backward. For as just noted, each of us is her or his love. That is why after death we all follow the path of our love, to heaven if we have loved what is good and to hell if we have loved what is evil. We find no rest until we arrive in the community where our own dominant love is And strange as it may sound, we all know the way. It is as though we were following a scent. So we just had spirals in front of the head. But as I understand what he's describing, he's talking about the internal structure of the spirit mind. He says that our, our spirits are as structured as our bodies, and that all the thoughts and feelings we have there are happening in little structured forms, just like in the physical brain. You have 
neurons and, and bundles and those sorts of things. There is that to an even higher extent, uh, more more complex in the spirit, and that an evil life actually turns those structures, inverts those structures somehow, and that this is how you, the mechanics of how love and truth can get turned into evil and falsity. So take it if you want it. Secrets of Heaven, 5700. Um, this is this is more about the that inversion that exists in the mind. Facts are said to exist in an inverted state of order when people intent on doing what is evil violate heavenly order. For heavenly order intends that good should be done to everyone. The result of this, therefore, is that once people cause heavenly order to become inverted in this way, they ultimately reject what is of God, what is of heaven, and consequently what constitutes charity and faith. People who have come to be like this know how to use factual knowledge to engage in keen and skillful reasoning, for their use of reason relies on sensory evidence, and reasoning reliant on sensory evidence relies on considerations of an external nature, on bodily and worldly matters, which instantly absorb a person's thoughts and feelings. Unless such factual knowledge has been has had the light of heaven shed upon it, it has thereby been brought into a completely different state of order. It sets that person in obscurity." This obscurity is so pronounced, so far as heavenly matters are concerned, that he not only fails to understand them, but also utterly refuses to accept them, and at length casts them aside, and, so far as he is allowed to do so, says blasphemous things about them. When factual knowledge exists in a proper state of order, it has been arranged by the Lord into the same form as heaven takes. But when it exists in an inverted state of order, it has been arranged into the form hell takes." a form in which the worst falsities are in the center, supporting ideas come next, and truths on the outside. Look, that must have been a Canadian or a uh, you know, UK translation. And as those truths are on the outside, they cannot have any communication with heaven where truths are predominant. For this reason, the interiors are closed, since it is through those interiors that the way to heaven lies open. So it's not just enough to have the facts, to have the knowledge, it's about how things are ordered. And we have a picture here, of there's a, so there's, there's us on either side, but on the left side, as he says, the, the evil and the falsities, the worst stuff is at the center. Then you have the, the less perverted sort of things, and then the good and the true is out the outside. In our better self, on the right side, everything's still there. You still got these evil negative things, as you may have noticed about yourself, and I may have noticed about myself, but it's pushed to the outside. Then you have the, the grayer area, and the good and the true are in the center. So it's not that evil people don't have any goodness, and good people don't have any evil. It's just, what are you putting central in your lives? And this is more about the arrangement of the mind. All right? So, we did it. We talked about where evil comes from, what it is. Now that we've got these two sections as building blocks, let's talk about the devil. Okay, so, Swedenborg, as you probably already sort of implied it, and how I've been talking about it, he doesn't say that there is a single devil, a devil who is the source of evil, who is a conscious opposite to God, um, who that's one being. However, it's not as simple as saying, oh, there's no 
there's no devil. The answer is somewhere in between, and we're going to get at that through Swedenborg's accounts. This is from Revelation Unveiled 453. We're going to jump in in the middle of something where he's talking about something else, but we'll get our own pertinent information through this, so don't worry about where he's starting. It is owing to these falsities that he was just describing that no one knows anywhere in the whole Christian world, and he's talking about the Christian church of his day, that the fire mentioned here is the love of self. He's talking about hellfire. The fire mentioned here is the love of self and the world, and that this love is the devil. Nor does anyone know that the smoke issuing from this fire is a conceit in one's own inherent intelligence, and that this conceit is Satan. Neither does anyone know that the brimstone ignited by this fire through that conceit is the lusts attendant on evil and falsity, and that these lusts are the diabolical and satanic crew of which hell consists. And when these things are not known, it is impossible for anyone to know what sin is, for sin finds its every delight and gratification in them. So, there we have it. There is a devil, but it's not a particular conscious entity, it's these particular uh, predispositions or gravitations toward evil in everybody, that we all have the potential to be coming from the devil. And he uses that word, that phrase, love of self, love of the world. And it may sound like those are good things. You, you want to think you're a cool person and you want to like, like the planet or something. That's not what he's talking about. And we're going to extensively get into exactly what he means by love of self. So let's, so, and how could love of self, how could that be the devil? So we're going to clarify that term and then I'll bring more light into how it is. So he talks about it in Secrets of Heaven, 8678. This is what is at the root of it. The nature of self-love, which is pride. So this is something, we, we know that word. We don't use this philosophical, ter- philosophical term, self-love or love of self a lot, but we know pride, right? We know that's not such a great thing. It's such that so far as it is given rain, it gallops away, gaining speed with every possible step it can take, till eventually it reaches the very throne of God, wishing to usurp God. This is what all in hell are like. What they are like is revealed by their endeavors emanating from there, and also by their intense feelings of hatred for one another, and their awful acts of revenge because of their wish to exercise control. And that's key. Love of self is not, am I a cool person or not? It is, I, everything exists to serve me. I want to control everyone, and when you don't do what I want, I'm going to crush you. And I want to, I don't like God because God is, is letting people live their lives, and I don't want anyone more powerful than me, right? Then further in Divine Providence 257, when self-love has promoted its power all the way to the Lord's throne, in other words, we put ourselves at the center of the universe instead of the divine, has removed him from it and set itself there, then the only other thing that can happen is that the other love, the Lucifer, will pervade everything that has to do with the Word and the Church. So, He is setting up this, there is a devil and there is a Lucifer, and we're going to talk more about what those mean as we go. I do want to point out that many people may have had experiences where something, they meet some scary thing and it says, I'm the devil, right? So, what's going on there? According to Swedenborg, it would be this, spiritual experiences number 4321. At length, a certain spirit was detected in a higher place who said that he led him. Okay, again, we're jumping into something weird, and I don't even know if I could describe it. He's talking about a spirit that's like leading another spirit in the middle of this experience he's had. He spoke with abundant confidence 
as one that directed him in everything that pertained to him, professing in himself to be, as it were, a god, and breathing forth a sphere like the Lord. But he was a certain devil, who imagined himself to be the very devil that deceived Adam and Eve according to the common opinion. So, confusing pronouns, and we made it worse by dropping right in the middle. The point is that Swedenborg met this person who is focused on evil, which he called a devil, and that that, that particular devil um, says, oh yeah, I'm the, I believe that I, I am the devil. And actually you find this delusion that I am the thing is a common thing in hell. We had another episode where we talked about people in hell that think that they're God, and think they rule the universe, and that this is relatively common. So you get a lot of people claiming that, that no, there, there, is a, there, there is one most powerful ruler, devil, and, and that's me. It just happens to be me. So that may be where some of these devil encounters come from. And I want to point out that it's not to say, to say there's not a single central devil does not mean there's not really spooky stuff. Uh, Swedenborg encountered, you know, you've seen, look at these, our, our like uh, uh, little section things are spooky because Swedenborg talks about all kinds of really scary stuff, really powerful, nasty beings that he meets. Um, he's just saying that these, there's none that is the source of it all, the, the central, the ruler who goes after everyone. It's the whole of hell through that love of evil in the heart, right? And we're going to talk about that more and more. Let's go to heaven and hell 544. And he's commenting on this same thing. People in the world still believe that there is a devil who rules the hells, and that he was created as an angel of light, but was cast into hell with his gang after he led a rebellion. And we're going to get to that Lucifer passage in the Bible a little bit later. The reason for this belief is that the Word talks about the devil and Satan and about Lucifer as well, and in those cases the Word is understood literally. However, in these passages the devil and Satan mean hell. The devil means the hell toward the rear, where the worst people live, the people called evil demons, and Satan means the hell that is toward the front, where the less malevolent people live, the people called evil spirits. Lucifer means the people who are from Babel or Babylon, the ones who extend their control all the way into heaven. Now, he's not talking about the city of Babylon. We'll get to that soon as well. We can also see that there is no devil to whom the hells are subject from the fact that all the people who are in the hells, like all the people in the heavens, are from the human race. Sorry, that's what Swedenborg says. Not Some people agree, some people don't. That's what he claimed to have learned. And that there are millions there from the beginning of creation to the present day. And that everyone there is the kind of devil he or she became by opposition to the deity while in the world. So there's a twist. we got a twist now. It's not just that th- these particular kinds of loves uh, of evil are the devil and Satan. It's also that hell is the devil and Satan. And that actually, those aren't just two names for the same thing, and we're going to get to that in a second, but I do want to say that the way Swedenborg talks about human subconscious and consciousness, that we're all hooked into the spiritual world, that actually all evil feelings and thoughts is from our connection with hell. So really, that love of self is made up of everyone who has chosen evil and is living evil there. So it's all sort of the same thing. Does that make sense? All right. It probably doesn't. That's just fine. There is a difference between the devil and Satan, that, that these two th- terms have different meanings. And uh, to explain this further, we talked to Karadam, who translates these books, and this is, here's a little clarification on the difference between devils and Satans. Swedenborg divides the inhabitants of hell into two major categories, and there are different words for them. They've been translated differently. 
Um, one word is devils, and they are also known as demons or, or evil genii is one way they used to be translated. And the other category is satans or evil spirits. And he calls the devils the worst and the satans not so bad. The devils on the lowest level are the ones that are interested in your heart, your loves, your feelings, what is good. The satans are more about the mind, the thoughts, the ideas. They want to turn things into falsity and illusion in your mind. Some interesting things that he says is that the demons like to uh, be silent and the satans like to speak. And um, the demons want more than anything to make you think that what is good is bad and what is bad is good. And the Satans, more than anything, want to make you think that what is false is true and what is true is false. So the, the lowest, Swedenborg says, the lowest kinds of devils are obsessed with themselves. They're all about loving themselves as the top priority in anything. And the not so bad are obsessed with love of the world, Lo worldly things, possessions, power. And we got a little bonus uh, explanation of love of self and love of the world as Swedenborg describes it. Further, True Christianity 68. Oh, uh, this, this is another wrinkle. Um, this is where we get all these demons and Satan. So hell is all this stuff, but it comes back to you can actually see hell as one giant monster. True Christianity 68. To God, the totality of heaven is like one human being. On the other hand, hell is like one giant monster. Divine Providence 190. If it were not, were not for his divine providence, which is like a constant creation, could the infinitely varied desires and consequent thoughts of humanity, and therefore the individual people themselves, be so arranged that they form a single whole, with the evil desires and their thoughts forming a single demon who is hell, and the good desires and thoughts a single Lord in heaven? I have already explained a number of times that in the Lord's sight, the whole angelic heaven looks like a single person who is in his image and likeness, while the whole hell, conversely, looks like one grotesque person. So we've gone all the way full circle back to, oh, there is one effigy of hell. It's not that it's, this is one devil who can be over here, and then he's over there, and he's thinking something specific, but everything in hell works together like one giant monster. Uh, oh yeah, and there, that's what it looks like. Well, we don't know. We don't have the rendering, so we just put up this question mark. Uh, and there's a reason for that. It's because nobody knows what that monster looks like. Actually, Swedenborg describes that heaven, and he said it right there, is like a giant person, like a good-looking person. And we had an episode on that actually called The Shape of Heaven, where we talked extensively about what that means, and that God can see heaven as a person. Hell is can be seen as the opposite, as a person who's out of order. Uh, and Swedenborg says he, could, he hasn't seen heaven as a person, because to see something on that scale, only God, only the vision of God can do it. So I would assume Swedenborg hasn't seen the giant monster either. Who knows, maybe we, you can see it, maybe somebody has, but in a way, that would be the total image of everything evil. But it's, it's not something conscious that thinks on its own. It is all of our evil, all the evil in everyone, working together, because especially in the spiritual world, good things work in concert, 
harmful things work in concert. So there are a couple of different devils for you. And hopefully that makes some sense. But there, there's a lot of loose ends. Because what is, um, if there's not a devil ruling hell, what what is hell and and who's in charge and what's going on there? So we've been everywhere else that's scary. Why don't we take a little time in, in hell in part four? So, yeah, I mean, if there's not one conscious devil who's the evilest of the evil and everyone else is evil from and who holds all the power in hell, what is, who or what is is ruling that place, what's keeping it together? Swedenborg says in his book, Heaven and Hell, 536, the Lord is the God of heaven, and the whole government of the heavens is in the Lord's hands. Since the relationship of heaven to hell and hell to heaven is like that of two opposites that act against each other, with the actual action and reaction yielding the states of equilibrium within which everything exists, in order for absolutely everything to be kept in this balance, it is necessary that the ruler of the one be the ruler of the other as well. That is, unless the same Lord controlled the attacks of the hells and restrained their madness, the balance would be destroyed. And if the balance were destroyed, everything else would go. And Swedenborg even talks about how that that balance between heaven and hell, the equilibrium, the spiritual equilibrium, is what allows our consciousness to exist. So there has to be somebody running the whole scheme. But let's take a look at how this works. In Secrets of Heaven 1755, Angels are the ones who rule over evil and hellish spirits. But the Lord sees and foresees absolutely everything, and provides for and arranges absolutely everything. Sometimes he does so with bare tolerance, sometimes with reluctant permission, sometimes with acceptance, sometimes with pleasure, and sometimes with a will. The desire to control others is a strictly human trait. At odds with traits angels receive from the Lord. But when desire is absent, all control comes of love and mercy. This idea is fairly arcane, though, so in a, it cannot be explained intelligibly in a few words. It is enough to know that evil and hellish spirits are put under the angel's power and that the Lord governs absolutely everything, even the most minute details. But I think he gives us all the pieces in there to understand it. Um, you know, God isn't crazy about everything. There's things that he would rather have, but there's certain things. This is what, what the best case scenario. And that, so it is with all evil, with all harmful choices people make. So God is arranging hell, and that hell is not a place of torment. Hell is a place, a best case scenario for evil. The evil is this thing that causes uh, you, know, you to not be able to function in a system. You harm other people. You can't be part of love and of heaven, and the human race will will die if it's too absorbed in evil. Hell is a way to contain evil, to give people who are obsessed with evil and and consistently choosing it, to actually give them the happiest lives they can have when they're involved in something, to protect them as much as they can from each other. Hell is actually, it's control, but it's control out of wanting to benefit. Because as Swedenborg was saying, the desire to control, just to control, to dominate, that that's hell. That's the opposite. God doesn't have that. The only control that God exercises is to give the best scenario 
to people. Just because, hey, I, I know actually better than you what will lead to what. So I'm not going to, you know, it's not like people in hell know. A lot of, Swedenborg says people in hell don't even have to know that God exists, but that God is still looking out for their lives and, and making it so that everything can lead to something useful as much as possible. And so Swedenborg talks about this equilibrium some more uh, and how God, it, you have to have a single actor creating this equilibrium or else the thing would never work. It's, you know, y- you would never, unless there's some kind of rules of war, two countries could never come to, you know, sort of a, a peaceful, uh, you know, resolution of without some kind of international law, right? Um, because how would you enforce things? So if God wasn't able to run everything, then how would you keep one from from overtaking the others? We made another little clip about it here. This is Swedenborg further describing the levels in heaven and hell and how they relate. I have seen that there are three heavens marked off by three vertical levels and three hells also marked off by three vertical levels or levels of depth with the hells opposite to the heavens in every detail. Further, the lowest hell is the opposite of the highest heaven, the intermediate hell, the opposite of the intermediate heaven, and the highest hell, the opposite of the lowest heaven. The reason the heavens and the hells are in this kind of opposition is that their loves are opposed in this fashion. Love for the Lord and a consequent love for their neighbor constitute the inmost level in the heavens, while love for themselves and love for the world constitute the inmost level in the hells. Wisdom and intelligence from their loves constitute the intermediate level in the heavens, while stupidity and madness from their loves, which put on the appearance of wisdom and intelligence, constitute the intermediate level in the hells. It is the final effects of these two levels, though, either coming to rest in the memory as knowledge, or finding definition in the body and actions that constitute the final level in the heavens, while the realizations of the two levels that become either knowledge or actions constitute the most superficial level in the hells. And if you look in the intro, we have a little picture of those different levels. Just flashes by, but there's something to look for next time someone forces you to watch this show. All right, so let's let's revisit this idea of love of self, because everything is kind of hinging on this. Swedenborg says this thing is the devil. So let's take a look at why is it so bad and what is it, because so we can get past that term to what he's actually talking about. This is Heaven and Hell 556 and, and, and following. We, this is a couple numbers we just took out a little in the middle. Love for oneself is intending well to oneself alone, not to others except for the sake of oneself. Picture a community made up of people like this, all totally in love with themselves, not caring about others unless they are allies, and you will see that their love is no different than that of thieves for each other. To the extent that they are acting in concert, they embrace each other and call each other friends. But once they stop cooperating, once anyone resists their control, they attack and butcher each other. If their deeper nature, their minds are probed, it will be clear that they are full of virulent hatred for each other, and that at heart they ridicule anything fair and honest, even ridicule the deity, tossing it aside as worthless. This comes out even more clearly from their communities in the hells, which will be described below. And if you want to hear that, get the book, it's a free download. The deeper levels of the thoughts and affections of people who love themselves above all are turned toward themselves and the world, and are turned away, therefore, from the Lord in heaven. This is why such people fall prey to all kinds of evil, and why the divine nature cannot flow in. So it's a lot like 
that is how as Swedenborg describes it. it's sort of like you know in movies organized crime you know it's like okay yeah you're you're cool oh you messed up I'll, I'll kill you or uh you you cross me in any sort of way or you want out of the the outfit I'm gonna kill you you know like it seems like when we're both in it we're both working for each other we're happy we're friends but love of self if, as long as anyone doesn't do something for you then they're the enemy that's the devil is this desire to control everyone and that you're you just use people to get where you want to go right so before we go before we get out of this section i thought we'd take a quick tangent on lucifer because there is this idea of okay so there's not an eternal evil being but there is this fallen angel and swedenborg has an interesting comment on that let's look first at the quote in isaiah that that the idea of lucifer comes from uh and we'll go from there. You will declare this parable about the king of Babylon. Hell beneath has been stirred up on account of you. How have you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? You have been cut down to the earth. You have been weakened below the nations. And you said in your heart, I will go up to the heavens. Above the stars of God, I will raise my throne. And I will sit on the mount of assembly. I will go up above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But yet you have been sent down to hell. So, to me, the most interesting thing is it starts by saying, say this to the king of Babylon. This is not, that's who it's addressed to. But Swedenborg mentioned Babylon before. What's so bad about Babylon? You know, it's a city, there's good people in it, there's bad people in it. Let's take a look at what he says about what does that mean, that phrase, because it's symbolic. What is it a symbol of? According to Swedenborg, you don't have to take it. I'm just presenting it to you. By Babylon are meant all who wish to have dominion by religion. To have dominion by religion is to have dominion over men's souls, thus over their very spiritual life, and to use the divine things which are in their religion as the means. All those who have dominion for an end and religion for the means are in general Babylon. They are called Babylon because such dominion began in ancient times. And further, Apocalypse Revealed 737. We say in time profaned, since to begin with, they regarded the word as holy. But as they saw they could use the sanctities of the church to gain dominion, they turned away from the word and regarded their own edicts, commandments, and rules as having equal but really greater holiness. At last they transferred all of the Lord's authority to themselves, leaving nothing behind. It is because of the first state, when they regarded the word as holy, that Lucifer, meaning Babel, is called the son of the morning. Because of their later state, he was brought down to hell." The way Swedenborg says it, spiritual things are never referring to specific people. They are referring to traits. And here, Lucifer, the king of Babylon, is this controlling by means of religion. Which, if it's true, would be interesting because a lot of people who were coming from religions, you know, railing against Lucifer, were playing the role of Lucifer there. Look at the damage that that's done in the world. And it's a twofold damage. There is the damage that religious institutions that churches have done in the world. Just read, read some of the stuff about the first people coming to North America from Europe and what they did to the Native Americans in the name of religion. There's, you don't need to stop there. There's stuff all over. We all know some of the famous ones, Inquisition, etc. You see stuff going on in the world right now. People are using religion to, to do all these bombings, do horrible things. It causes that damage. Then it also causes the damage of destroying 
destroying religion, destroying both for within it, destroying the teachings for people because religion is meant to lead to love, and if it doesn't, it's destroyed. But then also other people see that and they say, there's nothing to this. This religion thing sucks. It's nothing. I'm out of here. And they potentially miss out on things that could have affected them positively. So that's the danger of Lucifer, according to Swedenborg. Let's take one more number to close things out here. Married Love 461, and then we'll get to our final segment. The Lord activates all the elements of the soul and all the elements of the mind in angels, spirits, and people on earth through an influx from Him. And this through an influx of love and wisdom, and this influx is the underlying activity from which springs every delight. When it, which in its origin is called bliss, happiness, and felicity, and in its de- descent, delight, gratification, and pleasure. And in its universal sensation, good. Okay, so all that's saying is everything that seems great to us, we call good. But spirits in hell turn everything into its opposite in them, thus, also a, thus turning also good into evil and truth into falsity, with a constantly enduring delight. So it's not, you know, you can, you can abuse things to get pleasure from them. You know, there's all these warnings on things. Use, using this in a way not prescribed is a federal crime because you can use things, to, you know, to kind of scheme stuff out of it. Like we're talking about, you can, you can abuse all kinds of systems to get pleasure that isn't the intent of the system. And, and it's not sustainable and it's not healthy for you. This is sort of the the flipping that we call hell. And that's the the pleasure of that is the thing that draws you to be in, be one with the devil. So did God create the devil? Did God create evil or hell? No. As we were talking about before, it's like it's like a planet, uh, you know, light and dark. God is light because of the shape of the planet there's darkness on one side, right? That it's the absence of light, Swedenborg is saying in that other video, it's as light light or love decreases and decreases, then you start to get what's on the other side. So that's how Swedenborg presents it, and if he knew this much about it, maybe he has some ideas on how we can kick some of that stuff out. So we're going to take a look in our last section, Cleaning House. Okay, so this is our most cheerful section, and it's going to be just a little bit about uh, the devil, as Swedenborg describes it, is something that is just, you know, we can all get along, you know, we can be, people who think that there is one literal devil, that's fine, doesn't mean we can't be friends, maybe you're right, um, and people will say, oh, the devil's trying to make you do this evil thing, that evil thing. The way Swedenborg's saying it, the devil's trying to make us do evil things. It's just, it's a slightly different definition of what the devil is. But this devil is th- people being mean to each other, right? That we, you see the effects of the devil everywhere. A desire to control people, uh, a desire to have your own way, and that that's the, the root of all this harm that's coming about on all these different levels, political, social economic, basic, physical, and then spiritual. At all these levels, the harm is coming from this devil. So what do you do do about it? And this is uh, from Swedenborg's spiritual experiences, word explained right near the beginning of his spiritual experience. In order that mankind may be reformed, it is necessary that the devil first be cast out of our heaven, 
that is, out of our reasoning mind. So, we got to, ha- you know, it's talking about Lucifer being cast out of heaven. That's got to happen in here. We got to cast the devil out. So, let's take a look at what we can do there. Divine Providence 33. The closeness of our union with the Lord depends on the extent to which we abstain from evils as coming from the devil and as blocking the Lord's entry. So even though Swedenborg describes how it's not one devil, he'll use, because it's such a similar concept, he'll use the shorthand of the devil. The devil meaning this love. We can see that the union is closest for people who loathe these evils, as though they were actually foul and fiery devils, since evil and the devil are one and the same, just as malicious falsity and Satan are one and the same. As a result, just as the Lord's inflow into a love for what is good and its desires through these into our perceptions and thoughts, which all derive their truth from the fact that they stem from the goodness we are engaged in, so the inflow of the devil or hell is into a love for what is evil and its desires, its compulsions, and through these into our perceptions and thoughts, which derive all their falsity from the fact that they stem from what is evil. So it's essentially the devil is in loving evil things and the rationalizations, the justifications we have that allow us to commit that stuff in whatever form it takes in all of us whenever. So we've got it there. Let's get it out. Here's our little segment, How to Cast Out the Devil. We'll give you one easy step. It's not that hard. Married Love 529 is the book. The same is the case with those who are in good from the Lord. If from will and understanding or purpose and confirmation they abstain from one evil because it is a sin, and still more if they abstain from several, they abstain from all. For as soon as one from purpose or confirmation abstains from any evil because it is a sin, he is held by the Lord in the purpose of abstaining from the rest. Therefore, if he does evil from ignorance or from some prevailing conspicuance of the body, uh, concupiscence, well, so this is the old translation, uh, it is not imputed to him because he did not propose it to himself and does not confirm it with himself. A man comes into this purpose if once or twice a year he examines himself and repents of the evil which he finds in himself. Not so with one who never examines himself. So I actually had somebody on this very show or asking before, you know, I've done a lot of things that aren't good, you know, how can I ever m- make it out of that? But the way Swedenborg is saying that if we just do something, do anything, I, I heard that, that you know, the difference in somebody who never exercises and someone who does a little exercise a day. That's the biggest jump. There's a bigger jump in health from someone who never exercises to someone who exercises a little all the way. That's a bigger gap than someone who exercises a little all the way up to like an Olympic athlete. The biggest help is just do something. So if we can say in one area, in one aspect of, the, of life, ooh, I could do that, but I, that's harmful. So even though there's a part of me that wants to, I'm not going to do it then we're, we're moving in the right direction. The direction is all that matters. It's not the score, it's the direction. So that's what we can do. It ain't that bad. Uh, you know. And through that, not only does the rest of the world benefit, but we benefit in the end too, because good is a better way to go, which I don't need to tell you. You guys already know that. 
Just a note before we get to our questions. All that spooky stuff, even this picture here, this was all taken at Glencairn Museum. They were nice enough to let us come in and, and look around with cameras. They're a cool museum that has a uh, religious history theme. Take a look in our description for more about them and links to their exhibits and all that stuff. So thank you, Glencairn Museum. Let's take a video break. Then I want to hear your thoughts on the whole thing, your questions and comments, and we'll go from there. Okay, so here we are. It's that time again. Let's take a look. It's been me talking. Uh, maybe I was speaking good. Maybe I was speaking bad. Let's hear what you guys have to say about it, and I'd love to expand the conversation a little bit. So let's get to our very first question here today. This is from Preliminimino. YouTube. In many of my dreams, it seems like some evil, cruel force is putting me in depressing environments that are uncomfortable and situations that are disturbing sometimes traumatic. Is that the devil? The dreams are not from my mind. None of it appeals to my way of thinking or artistic style. Like I'm being manipulated in places I don't want to be. I think we're not, all of us are not as like wowed by dreams as we should be. Isn't that weird? We all like walk around, have a normal life. I, I have to go to my job now. Oh, I have to stop at the supermarket. And then we go to bed and have these really bizarre adventures in these strange places where there's a warped sense of like time and space, but also why one thing follows from another people consume. And we just kind of brush it off. You know, that's a weird, cool uh, thought-provoking thing. So it sounds like here you're getting some, you know, so you're having these negative experiences in, in the dream. Is that the devil? So as Swedenborg would say it, uh, yes, it's the devil, but it's not the devil as in there's one devil who right now is in everybody's nightmares, but there, but that evil, harmful stuff, even in dreams, is from hell, and that there are spirits from heaven and hell trying to influence, influence us all the time, and that, yeah, that Swedenborg would talk, even, like, specifically, literally spelled it out, that, you know, scary dreams, nightmares are from hell, that that's hell trying to mess with you. And it's interesting um, observations that you make that, that, yeah, this is not, this does not seem like it's from my mind. This is not something, this is not the way I would do it if I were directing this dream. Nothing matches. And I notice in dreams you'll find stuff that's so foreign that you wouldn't, uh, that you wouldn't, uh, it's not like a train of thought where it makes sense. This is in me. It's like, where did this come from? You know. So, so anyway, that the answer is yeah. Swedenborg would say that's that. It doesn't. But but I wouldn't be too worried about it because he also is very explicit that we're protected while we're asleep. That that hell would want to do us harm, like real harm. But heaven is is keeping that at bay. So while we may feel discomfort, you're not in that kind of danger. If you know what I mean. Um, however, hopefully, yeah. Things, things get better and better, and, and I don't know exactly how to do something like that, stop dreams, but um, hopefully there are other people who do, or, you know, you can take, the more you know about the reality of the whole thing, the more things will fall into place, so I, I wish I could fix it all, I can't, but I can say that, so thanks very much for sharing that with us, it's a personal thing, and it adds to the conversation, I appreciate it. All right, let's take a look at the next one, are there giants in heaven? 
Now, I've heard like near-death experiences where people talk about angels as being tall, very tall, like 11 feet tall or something like that. I'm trying to think of whether Swedenborg mentions giants specifically. You know, there's so much appearance in the spiritual world that Swedenborg describes as in, you know, oh, I saw this, at a distance people appeared to be this, but then when I got closer, I saw them as they really were. That There's so much imagery going on there that, that, you know, there would certainly be, like, you could see, like, people appearing as larger. As to how tall and short are people really, I don't know. I mean, Swedenborg describes, you know, uh, people from other planets, believe it or not, that are are shorter than regular people, you know, so there's certainly a range there. He also, as we talked about, you know, like the, the grand human being that's a giant person, uh, he says communities, individual communities can be seen as people, it, you know, not like you're walking around in one, like at the science museum that's shaped like a heart. What I mean is like when you're approaching, you can see an image of a person that's representative of that community, of all the, the kinds of people that are in there. Uh, so, what, maybe that's a big person. I don't know. I would say probably that world is as more expansive than this one. So there's a lot going on there. Whether or not they're, they're literal or it's representative, I don't know. The answer, as always, I don't know. Thanks for your question. Uh, let's take a look at the next one. Barb, YouTube. Evil is, in essence, turning away from the path of love. I'm hearing intention matters, that deeds done are judged by the intention. A deed done from confusion and ignorance is different than the same deed done with intention to do wrong. 100%. I think you're completely on track there. Swedenborg thinks the same thing. He says that angels will not pay attention at all to what someone's body is doing. They pay attention to the intent. Also, uh, he talks about how the only things that stick with us are things that we do out of intent. And he even he gives examples of, oh, somebody might be pushed into doing this thing because of circumstances or, or something like that, so it doesn't really stay with them. So certainly, there's not like an arbitrary scorekeeper who doesn't get that there are pressures on people. In fact, we call this the fundamental attribution error. That was my favorite thing I learned in college, uh, is that generally, when we do something bad, we say, oh, it's because I was tired, or, or like I, I snapped at somebody, it's because I was tired, or I was thinking about something else that was stressing me out. But if somebody else snaps, you say, oh, well, they're just a jerk, right? We don't ever get that there are factors with people. So there there are, and that spiritually, yeah, it, if, you, if you don't understand something, and you make a mistake because you believe something else, or, or you're under circumstances, or who knows, you're dealing with poverty or something, it's not like, yeah, God would be as empathetic as any of us would be standing back and more so. So I think you're right on, and I wanted to add that. All right, great. Next one. This is from Mark. Swedenborg says, Spirits have a life within people exactly as if they themselves were the person. What can you do if you don't like their influence? Yeah, so Swedenborg, that's a great question, and I like that you're quoting Swedenborg in the questions. That's cool, man. So pretty soon, you guys will be so immersed in it, I won't have to do this anymore. Um, just kidding. I like doing it. I'll do it anyway, even if no one watches. Um, so Swedenborg says that there is this intimate connection with the spiritual world, um, and that 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 you know we have are all the time, just like we're in this world and we're influenced by the people we're around, this the city that we're in, uh, you know, the community we're a part of. There we are influenced by the community that we're in, but even in an even closer way, we have some people or spirits people who have died, that we are very closely linked with. 
we're very closely linked with that they that they and in some cases Swedenborg says that they think they're us. Is that weird enough for you that there are there are we we're we're connected to to good spirits and more harmful spirits and if the harmful spirits knew they were connected to it this is getting so weird if the harmful spirits knew they were connected to us they would attack us but instead they think that they're us so they think the things in us like our our sort of memories and our desires all that stuff are theirs so they don't attack them you know and and this is a weird arrangement the point it's not permanent the point of it is that it's this is the way we can be reformed because of what you're saying, Mark. That I don't like this influence. I don't like being like this. You know, you have a spirit. Uh, you know, I don't like these traits. Um, through those, through those connections, actually, the mechanics of it, we can push ourselves away from those traits that we couldn't do if they weren't ever stirred up by these negative or positive connections. The best way um, that I know of to change your influences change your location is through what you do or don't intend. Um, taking stands against things inside yourself, uh, you know, saying oh, that's how Swedenborg describes change. However, in specific, like as far as specific, like I'm I'm getting um, a lot of, oh, I'm hearing voices or um, getting harassed in some tangible way, I then obviously it's something different, and I'm, I'm not an expert on that. We did do some shows where we talked, you know, the How to Deal with Evil Spirits is a title of an episode, where, and also How to Free Your Mind from Hell. That's where we go into, there's some people who have worked more closely with that that we did episodes with. Um, but in general, it seems like it's sort of like a like a stray animal sort of thing. Like if you don't if it's not a place where they find food and water and shelter, they'll stop coming around. And sometimes I find that that struggle can take forever, can take a long time, and it can seem like this isn't helping. I mean, like, I'm, I'm trying to do a lot, but I'm not making progress. It's tough, you know, people deal with that stuff. But I would say that that's the best way I know of to make movements. And if anyone else has any thoughts in the chat room, go ahead, comment on that. All right, let's take a look at another one. Barb. Does Swedenborg talk about the millennium, a period in human history when Satan will be bound, according to the Bible? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I would have to look up that specific passage and see if this is what he means by it, but I know that in general he's talking about the new church, which is the new state, the, the, the coming permanent really good era for humanity. We did an episode called The Spiritual Future of the Human Race, and if you haven't seen it, maybe check that one out, because that is all about that phenomenon. But essentially, this is like, we've been on this wide swing, pushing ourselves farther and farther away from God, and now we're starting to come back up, and people are starting to be better to each other. And what we're going to try to have here is this time when Satan is bound. And if you think about that in the terms we just learned for this show, Satan being this malicious falsity. When people aren't running, when people are seeing things as they really are, think of the kind of world that would create. So that's maybe what he's talking about there as well. Okay, let's do a couple more. This is from Vice Versa on YouTube. Um, If Swedenborg suggests that hell is not about fire and torture, then why do countless hell testimonies always stress that it is 24-7 torture on many different levels according to your sin? It's a great question, and I would say there are different categories of hell testimonies. I have heard I was at, when I was at college, I was walking like from one building on campus to another, and there was a guy handing out CDs, a Christian guy, and it was this 
um, account from this person who had went to hell and found it very much like you said there, like, uh, I could never get away, um, it was horrible, it was all torture forever. Then you juxtapose that with somebody like a Howard Storm, who was a very famous uh, near-death experience writer. He wrote one of the first books uh, about having a near-death experience, and he experienced this very hellish beginning to it, where he was attacked and, like, cut up and messed up, and then, you know, he reached out and God pulled him out. And so I think you find both. You think you find both. Um, one of them's got to be right. Um, it seems like in when you when you have an experience that goes both positive and negative like that, there's a reason for the negative. Like Howard Storm, part of he had a whole life turnaround. He self-described he was a jerk before he had it. He was a self-focused, mean person. This experience turned him around, and part of that was this going being stripped down from this. Uh, this tough side of the experience. And that to him, he, he said that was a necessary component of the greater transformation. That's how Swedenborg describes it. All the hard things we're going through are to try to turn us around. Um, so it could be that people who are described, who have these horrifying visions, uh, that's what it's for, is to try to scare them into something. However, I mean, we have nightmares that are scary and then we wake up from them. And we don't necessarily believe those are true. It could be that you know, somebody's having this experience and they're getting tricked into to being afraid? The answer is that I don't know. Those are my best thoughts on it. I really don't think that there's a 24-7 torture on many different levels according to your sin. I mean, just what what would that accomplish? And is there anything worse than that? And why wouldn't, if there was really God, a God who had any kind of love, are there any angels with any kind of conscience, wouldn't they be breaking down the doors to try to stop that? you know, because that it's meaningless, like 24-7 torture for your evil, like it's not to reform you, it's not to change you, it's just revenge, it's pure revenge, that's the trait of love of self. From a Swedenborgian perspective, that's hell's fantasy, that's the devil's fantasy, is to be able to do that, when God is not at all about revenge, God is only, will only tolerate pain if it can lead to something better, you know, those are my thoughts, thanks for the question, let's take another one, uh, this is Blender, are we in hell now? Uh, sometimes, I think we're in both, uh, Swedenborg says heaven and hell both impact our minds and the world, and there are certainly a lot of times when mentally we're surrounded by hell, and that hell is louder in the outer, more um, perceptive, perceptible parts of our mind, you know, that that we experience the pain of that a lot, so... Uh, the world can seem like it, but it can also seem really good. I find life can seem really bad and seem really good. So spiritually, we can at times be in hell. We can be in hell both in the sense of being attacked or in the sense of when we are participating in the devil, meaning we're doing something that harms other people that we know is harmful because we like the benefits it gives us. That's being in hell, but that's the light side of hell because it feels good at the time, but it leads to the dark side. So those are my thoughts on whether or not we are. Or are you saying, are we in hell right now because you've had to watch an hour of this show? If so, yeah, yes, yes. The answer is yes. Okay, let's do a couple more. We have to wrap it up soon for time. Silver Rose, YouTube. Does Swedenborg talk about how souls are created in the first place? Oh, man. I wish he did. He doesn't He doesn't really. I mean, and it could be tucked away in there somewhere, but I've, I know he talks about the physical form 
becoming receptive to the first elements of life, but he doesn't talk about, you'd think he might, he doesn't talk about this is how life starts, starts. Um, so I'm just going to have to give you a real, no, no, he doesn't, man. Um, but it's a great question. And maybe I'll, because you can, you know, even if you've been combing through Swedenborg for a long time, you can come on these passages where it's like, wait a second, that's there. So maybe if I ever find something, man, are we going to talk about it? But for now, he doesn't seem to have a lot of good information on how individual people are started. So sorry about that. Okay, let's take a look at the next one. Todd, could hell simply be the choice to be one alone instead of being one part of the whole? It's certainly a way to look at it, that there is this heavenly whole of mutual love. I mean, it's not that there are, there are some people in the heaven that Swedenborg describes that live alone, and they're very happy there, but they're still connected. They're still doing something good for the rest of human. The, the joy of heaven is knowing you're helping people, that you're bringing happiness or alleviating suffering. So even if you're, like in this world, if you're a farmer and you're spending a lot of time alone, you know, um, then you're, but you know what you're doing is you're growing food that's going to go into people, make them happy and help, healthy, hopefully. So, hell is alone in the sense you might be around a lot of people but you don't really think that they're people you just see them as objects to be used in various ways or they're sort of caricatures of people whatever they're things that stand in your way or that you crave or whatever they are that's that's the aloneness of hell heaven is understanding we're all in this together you know and and being part of the, the great big thing so hell is that aloneness so yeah i would say yeah man uh, so that's my that's my thought on that we have one question left let's take it uh jim can a soul in a hell realm improve his lot by good deeds and intentions and graduate to a level of heaven? Thanks. Yep, it's a great question. Um, it's a complicated answer. Um, we are all the time moving between those. After death, there is this period of sorting out where people go down into what Swedenborg calls the lower earth, which is surrounded by hell, and there you... Uh, un, you know, you 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 get all messed up, but then you can get back and improve and improve. After all that sorting out is done, the only people that um, uh, that are in hell are the ones who absolutely want to be there. Because believe it or not, there are some people who who think I you know I don't I don't even want to get close to heaven. This is where I'm alive. This is where I can breathe. I don't want that. So God obviously is trying to pull everyone in that direction. Um, but if by the time all the sorting, so during the sorting process, you go up and down, you do whatever, whatever is deeply, because what you're saying, graduate by good deeds and intention, uh, that's somebody who wants to get better. If you want to get better, you will, you can, and you have every opportunity to do that, according to Swedenborg. By the time it's all done, it's only because you're craving and craving to be there. Now, do people stay forever there? Well, as as George Joel, the translator, put it once, uh, they haven't yet. Uh, you know, Swedenborg certain times earlier in his writings alludes to people coming out. Later, he says you can't come out because you are what you are. Who knows what's going to happen in the grand scheme of things? You would think in the end we'll all end up together, but uh, I couldn't say that Swedenborg has explicitly stated that. It makes sense, though, is what you'd think would be if there's really love that someday in the future we're going to clean this all up. Hopefully, I don't know. The final answer to everything, I don't know. Uh, so if you guys enjoyed our episode uh, today as much as I did, by the way, thanks very much for the questions. They're awesome. Uh, feel free to contribute to the show. You can make a donation. We got this new, like, there's a couple ways you can do it. 
Uh, you can open up the description, click there. We're, in, we're a 501c3 nonprofit, the Swedenborg Foundation, so we, we make our, our money our way to do stuff like this from people like you guys seeing, ooh, this is valuable, I want to help this continue. So you can open up the description, click that link, you can click this thing. You can also hover it. We just got this donations button put on the channel through YouTube nonprofit, so hover. There's a little, like, I on there that you can click to donate the button might be somewhere else i don't know i don't know how the whole thing works but so we have these ways and we actually have a grant that was given to us so that if you donate we'll get five times that much matched so it'll go a long way even if it's a small thing you want to donate a dollar it'll still help thanks for thinking of it uh okay if you want to hang out with us next week we're going to be looking at the way that spirits talk and i'm excited about it now just thinking about it it's going to be a great one Thanks for giving me a good Monday night. Hope you liked something about it, and uh, I'll see you then.